We are back with the Care to Change podcast and grateful to have you join us. Today, April will be joined by our guest, Cassie Mecklenburg, and our counselor, Teresa Haskins, to discuss breaking free of abusive cycles as we continue our topic of breaking free this month. Thank you for being a part of this conversation as we hope to offer you practical solutions for positive change. Welcome back, everyone. This is April Bordeaux, the director here at Care to Change. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are in the middle of a series we've entitled Breaking Free. And on July 4th, we released Breaking Free from what was experienced at war. Last week, we released Breaking Free from Addictive Behaviors. Today, we are talking about Breaking Free of Abusive Cycles. And next week, we are talking about breaking free from the tyranny of the urgent. All things that affect people uh, in lots of different ways. And when you are impacted by any of these, uh, war, addictions, abuse, or really just being caught up in the urgent, it's really difficult to just break free. And that's the reason why we've entitled this series Breaking Free. They're real topics. These are real people talking about these issues. And We have two special guests with us today, as usual, but I'm really excited because we have a new guest with us and a returning guest. So I want to first introduce to you Cassie Mecklenburg, who is the executive director of Sheltering Wings, which is a domestic violence shelter for families here in Hendricks County, just west of Indianapolis. Cassie, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So glad that you are here. And Teresa Haskins, who's one of our therapists here, works with marriages and families and especially those who have been in abusive relationships. Teresa, thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. So glad that both of you are here. We have so much knowledge and experience right here in this room on this podcast today. So let's just jump right into this topic. Because abuse is a really big topic, affects lots of families. I know, Cassie, you probably have some current stats on how many people are affected by abuse. We do. So one in four women and one in seven men. And so when you think about those stats, um, it really affects almost everyone, whether Mm -hmm. it's someone that you have yourself been abused or someone that you know. Right. We say it's not if you know somebody, it's if you oh, know right. them, right? right? It's not right. like you you know someone who sits with you at church, who's one of your neighbors, who's one of your friends, family members. It's it's not if. it You do. It's just whether or not you realize that you know someone. One in four. We have four people in this room. We've got Jared who's helping us record. So we have four people even in this room. And if you think about your sphere of influence, that's quite a lot of people. So... We know this, uh, we see this at Care to Change, and I know that you do at Sheltering Wings as well, Cassie, and and so we know this is something that's really widespread. I think what we experience here at Care to Change is people don't realize what abuse actually is. They don't want to call it abuse. I think sometimes we use the word toxic, we use the word unhealthy, but what we know is that the relationship isn't what it should be, right? And maybe it's destructive in some way, or friends or family members say, hey, that's not healthy, or that's not good, or why do you? So I want to really just kind of start with what are some of the signs? Because I think a lot of times people think of abuse as the person with the, the bruises, and there's certainly that aspect of abuse, but it, there's it's so much bigger than that and broader than that. So Cassie, will you kind of walk through just quickly 
really what are some of the signs that someone is in an abusive relationship? Sure, you're exactly right. When people think about abuse, they automatically jump to punching, hitting, mm-hmm. the physical aspects of abuse. And while that certainly might be a component of it, mm-hmm. for people who experience extreme jealousy, mm-hmm. extreme critical comments to them when they're berating them, when they're demeaning, when they're belittling them, Mm -hmm. uh, when they're isolated from friends or family, when their behaviors are controlled or manipulated so that Mm -hmm. the perpetrator is the one that is that is in control, that Mm -hmm. determines what a person's behaviors, words, actions look like. Those are all also components of it. And then when someone is forced to do unwanted sexual acts or violent sexual acts, or at times when they don't want to, when those things just continue to happen, you start to see patterns of abuse forming. And Mm so we oftentimes will talk with a person where they'll say, well, how do I know if this was just an incident or if this has turned into abuse? And I want to be really clear that abuse can happen the first time Mm. when it occurs. However, oftentimes when we think about abuse, we do think more about the pattern, the Mm -hmm. habit that begins to form. And it might be something that happens on a frequent occasion, Mm -hmm. or it might be something that happens over a longer period of time, Mm -hmm. but it has a tendency to escalate and become more frequent as it continues. Yeah. And I think the words that you used, power and control, you know, control is the word I heard in whatever method is used to have power or show control over the other person. Right. Um, That is an underlying aspect related to abuse, how that behavior shows, whether it's through the manipulation, these other things that you've described, but there's this element of having to be in control in some way. Can you just identify the different types of abuse? Sure. Uh, Again, oftentimes people think of the physical, the hitting, the slapping, the kicking, the pulling. Um, But in addition to that, there's verbal abuse where People Mm -hmm. are called names where they're demeaned, where they're belittled. Uh, Financial abuse, where they don't have control over their finances. Or that might look like when a person has to give their partner their finances, or they might be withheld from actually Mm -hmm. having the opportunity to earn themselves. And so uh, having those economic barriers are a component of that financial abuse. Uh, Spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's something that people just don't think a lot about. Mm -hmm. And actually, it is sometimes used to hold them even longer into those relationships. But when scripture or other religious texts are used to keep a person um, held down, again, the word control, Mm -hmm. to be controlled or manipulated into thinking that they're doing something for God, Mm -hmm. but really it's for their own selfish desires. And so that twisting of scripture can also be a form of abuse as well. Uh, Sexual abuse would be another one, again, where people are uh, forced to do acts that they might not be comfortable with, the frequency of it, uh, when there's violent acts that are incorporated into that. Uh, When someone says no, Mm -hmm. no means no the first time. It's not something that a person uh, needs to convince the other individual Mm -hmm. that they're not comfortable or they don't want to do something sexually, but no means no the very first time. Right. And you brought up a good point that is a question I know I get asked from clients, and Teresa, you can speak to this as well. Well, it only happened one time, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. This behavior, whether it was pushing or name calling or a big fight that ended up being yelling and screaming and belittling, well, it was just that one time. So what do you say to a person who's on the receiving end? And at this point, it's just, quote, 
It's just that one time. I mean, looking at the motivation, what what is it that predisposes someone for abuse? You have to to realize that, you know, it's coming from a place of possible insecurity, jealousy. So so defining that as a one-time event, if it's coming from someone who and has all of these internal battles, mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine that, you know, uh, it would be a, a one-time event. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, regardless, after that one-time event, that that power and control that Cassie's talking about, standing up to that and mm-hmm. and questioning that power that's done in a, a lot of different ways. But there's a difference, I think, between making a mistake and something becoming a pattern, like what mm-hmm. you said, Cassie, right? Yes. And the intent and the underlying reason behind will surface over time. And you'll know whether it was a mistake or a repeated pattern. And there is a, an identifiable pattern when it comes to abuse, you know, in the world of domestic violence, domestic abuse, you know, it's called the cycle of violence or the cycle of abuse. And I don't know who wants to take that, but sort of describe that cycle because um, is it a one time or is it in the cycle that's really identifiable? One of you describe that cycle. Sure. So in the cycle of abuse, uh, there often is that tension building phase Mm -hmm. where uh, an individual, it, it might start off somewhat nominal in the beginning, and you might not even notice it. But Mm -hmm. just little things begin to happen. And a person might feel like they have to start walking on Mm eggshells, and they don't want to do something that upsets the other person. And so they they change what they say or what mm-hmm. they do to keep the other person happy. They begin to feel responsible, mm-hmm. not only for their own happiness, but for the happiness and or the anger even mm-hmm. of the other person. And so this begins in that tension building phase where they just start to see things mm-hmm. escalating. And then there oftentimes is an incident. And like you said just a second ago, uh, it sometimes might feel like a one-time incident. Mm -hmm. But I think if you look back at that tension building phase, Mm -hmm. that's oftentimes where you can help to identify, is this a one-time incident? Or is there a pattern of buildup that I have just not been paying as close of attention to? Because oftentimes when you look back, Mm -hmm. you can see the red flags beginning to form and develop. And I think that that's a big indicator between a one-time versus it might be the first of a pattern Mm -hmm. that is about to develop. And so it's just good to be mindful of it. But again, in that incident or the explosion phase, as some people call it, that's when the incident occurs. Right. Then oftentimes people move into a honeymoon phase or a reconciliation Mm -hmm. phase Mm -hmm. where the perpetrator feels really bad for what they did. And that that might be genuine. They may, you know, apologize over and over. I'm so sorry. I'm going to change. This is never going to happen again. Let me show you how much I love you. And they have a tendency to lavish uh, and pour into that relationship Mm -hmm. because they feel bad for what just occurred. And so then there has a tendency to be a calm where it just Mm. might be normal. Mm -hmm. It's not tension building. It's not overly lavishing into that or pouring into that relationship, but it's just calm. Mm -hmm. It's just normal. But with that cycle of abuse, if you think about it like a circle and, you know, over time that circle gets smaller and smaller. And what I mean by that is the time in between those phases has a tendency to get shorter and shorter. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's so important for people to identify if it's a one-time mistake, because 
that may happen. Right. Um, or if you're seeing those tension building components, those red flags pouring into it, you need to be mindful that it, it might not be for months and months that another explosion phase happens. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. But over time, if it just continues, if change doesn't happen for that individual, then the likelihood that it's going to recur is, is likely and in shorter spurts, or sh- I should say shorter phases the next right. time. So the million dollar question and the reason we're doing this series on breaking free is what do you do about it? So identifying different types, knowing that there is a cycle to that, you know, lends a person who's not in an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. or hasn't been to ask the logical question, which is, why don't they just leave? Why don't they just end the relationship? Like it's not about quote, breaking free. It's just about choosing to end. And so if someone hasn't been exposed to abuse or not been in that kind of a relationship uh, or really understand the dynamics of abuse, that's the question that's asked, you know, why don't they just leave? And so I'd like for us to really talk about what are the reasons why people stay versus just leave? I think that that gradual nature of what happens causes people to kind of question what is real and what is not real. So the manipulation of the abuser, you know, the, the, the gaslighting, the, you know, causing, causing the abused to really question whether they're imagining things or if maybe they're the ones that, that are, is causing all of this. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like they're, they're somewhat trapped in this, what's, what's real and, and, you know, what's, what's not real. And, and the abuse, some, some, what, changes the identity of the person too. So there's this, you know, feelings of, of guilt and it's all my fault and mm-hmm. it just damages the self-esteem so much that it feels like they're um, just somewhat entrapped in the relationship. So bearing the burden of responsibility for the other person's behavior yes, can stop someone from taking action. Because if I were only fill in the blanks, or if I would have fill in the blank, or well, I really shouldn't have. And I know we hear that, you know, well, I played a part in it too. I fill in the blank, you know, whatever, you know, so I brought something to the table as well. It doesn't excuse the behavior. But what it does do is say, well, I'll change so that that person will change. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so they kind of get stuck in this pattern of if I just do this differently, Right. Um, then it will change because no one enters into a relationship thinking, oh, this relationship's going to end. I can't wait for it to end. Right. And no one enters into a relationship saying, oh, this is going to become abusive. Yes. It right. just sort of gradually begins mm-hmm. to intensify over time. And like you said, Cassie, the distance between or the length of time between episodes over time gets shorter and shorter and even somewhat predictable. Um, in a way, but yes, someone doesn't. And because of the good times too, right? Yes. Like it wasn't all bad. And there are periods of honeymoon and there are periods of calm. And so, well, this is a honeymoon period or this is a calm period. See, it's not all that bad, right? What are some other reasons why? I also think about the embarrassment and shame Mm -hmm. that comes with it. And, you know, we oftentimes when thinking about or when talking about abuse, we talk about the women that are affected. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, uh, to your point, they don't go into relationships Mm -hmm. anticipating that 
that's what they're going to experience from it. And so there has a tendency to be a lot of embarrassment or shame that comes from it. But also I want to make sure that we shed light on the fact that men can also be abused. And so that shame for men is oftentimes heightened because, you know, there's quote unquote how a man is supposed to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be the leader. Culture tells us Mm -hmm. that men should act a certain way or be able to lead in a certain way. And and that's a whole other conversation about gender roles and that kind of thing. But regardless of that, um, helping to give men a voice when they're experiencing some of these very similar things that women are experiencing and giving them an outlet is so important. So I want to make sure that we talk about the fact that men are abused. But in addition to that, there's also really practical reasons. Sometimes a person is economically dependent upon the other person. That could be a... an actual form of the abuse if they're not allowed to get a job, to make an income, Mm -hmm. to have a car, you know, those types of things to move forward independently on their own. Um, Or sometimes it's just the nature of their family dynamics Mm -hmm. and situation that 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 occurs where a person is dependent upon the other person. But the other side I would also throw into this mix is that individuals just genuinely may love the abuser. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think about, there's a scripture that says, I do not do what I want to do, but I do do and what I don't want to do. And you could exchange that for love. I love who I don't want to love. And and sometimes that just happens. Our mm. our hearts get entangled. Our hearts are complicated. Right. And our minds are complicated yeah. as well. And so sometimes it just gets entangled. And they genuinely love the other person. And they want to help the other right. person. I can help them change. I can help them mm-hmm. move past this. This isn't who they are. I know mm-hmm. who they really are. And I can help them become that. And so there becomes this false sense of hope. Um, and then again, they take on that responsibility mm-hmm. and it, and it's misplaced responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can hope and pray for another person to change, but they have to make that determination themselves. It's right. not something that I can do for them, but mm-hmm. they have to recognize it themselves, their role in that, those abusive tendencies to make that change. And, you know, and you bring up a point with, you know, genuinely loving the person and really wanting to provide them hope. And in those moments of the honeymoon or the calm, they see those elements mm-hmm. that are endearing, right? And so it reinforces that love in a way. And we can't we can't talk about this without bringing up the faith aspect of this. When someone enters into a relationship, especially marriage, and and they have a particular faith, it may, you know, there's a there's this. Well, you know, I didn't get into this marriage to end it. I didn't get into this relationship to end it. God wouldn't want me to leave. God hates divorce. Like all of these things that, that again, like you said, Cassie, can be used uh, as a form of control, you know, throwing scripture out. But the reality is th- that is true. God doesn't want divorce. God doesn't want any of his children to be harmed. And so there's this internal wrestling with, well, what about what the Bible says, right? And so I don't know who wants to address that issue, but it's a question. I know we get asked a lot here at Care to Change, like, well, what does God want? At what point, you know, what what am I supposed to do? I think the word submission, you know, a lot of women have that, like Cassie was describing that spiritual abuse and they they hear that word and they misinterpret it or they, they heighten the meaning of it to be, to, to mean control. And so um, that's one thing I enjoy talking to women about is really defining what that means and giving that 
that a lot of times women don't know what a really healthy relationship looks like in order to define what what abuse is to them um, defining what submission really means in God's word does that mean that the man is has all the power and the control but God defines that as as Jesus loving the church so um, men should love wives just as Jesus loved the church. And, you know, with that definition of submission and, and the dynamics of what the relation should look like, um, I think is helpful just defining that and, and the way to help women understand that this is not, you know, the power and control is not a healthy dynamic there. And when I, we think about the way that Jesus talks about and elevates love. Yes. And I mean, above all things, love. And he defines love in such a healthy and safe manner. I mean, it's not about lording power and control over another person, but love is a servanthood. It's doing well for the other person. And so above all things Mm -hmm. is love in that manner. And that's what it should look like. And so, yes, there are scriptures that talk about how God hates divorce, but again, above all else. Right love. Mm-hmm. And and so I think if we just continue to keep that in mind, it God never wants us to be in an unhealthy and in an unsafe relationship. Right. But he wants us to be in a God-honoring, loving like you talked about submissive but as in as a mutual submission, yes. as as a loving gratifying of one another. Yes. And and if both aren't participants in that, then it's not what the Bible intended. It's not what Christ intended when he mm-hmm. describes and he ordains marriages. And so that's really important for individuals within the church and that that adhere to that type of faith to, to understand and to consider. And, um, and it's something that we oftentimes talk with the families that we serve about that because it sometimes doesn't feel black and white. And especially mm, when you're right. going through it, well, how long do I endure? How long should I be long suffering? And, mm-hmm. and at what point should I leave? And, and we get that question a lot as a domestic violence shelter where, where people will say, well, well, you must advocate for divorce. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not advocates for divorce, but we are advocates for families to reflect the love that Christ intended. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes that does end in divorce. Mm-hmm. But there's there's processes to go through. There's help right. that you can seek, you know, through care to change and and pastors that you can talk with, right. trusted and trusted friends and individuals to seek wise counsel and how best to move forward. So we don't always have to jump to that mm-hmm. as the first resort, but sometimes that is the outcome that needs to occur. I think sometimes we just really do jump quickly to yes. that. Mm-hmm. Well, if I make this decision, this is going to lead to, and then we go to the challenge of the ending of the relationship versus the process of finding safety Mm -hmm. and self-love in this, right? So um, the relationship isn't a fully loving and healthy relationship. And so finding that self-love and saying, well, I am worth having a safe relationship versus, oh my gosh, if I do this and then going into the logistics of it and how will I ever versus, hey, let's just pause and say, how do we find safety? Yes. Physical safety and emotional safety first, because best decisions are made in the context of safety mm-hmm. and healthy connections. And so let's not talk about all of those decisions. Let's right now just say, how do we find safety, both emotionally and in connection with people, um, not just necessarily that relationship? 
And, and oftentimes we're not in a position mentally to make those types right. of decisions when we're in the thick of it. Right. And so establishing safe and healthy boundaries within mm-hmm. that relationship is really important because oftentimes change isn't going to occur right. when you're in the thick of it, when you're not making that intentional effort. And so for a person to say, I'm going to separate myself mm-hmm. in whatever manner that that might mean that's appropriate for those individuals. It, can be a part of healing and reconciliation Mm -hmm. as they're moving forward. But sometimes you've got to set those really distinct and strong boundaries to say, until I see these things occur, and until I feel safe, until I see a pattern over time of the change, I I need to separate Mm -hmm. myself from this situation to keep both myself and my children safe. This is is for all of our well-being. And so we need to put those things in place. Like you said, Mm -hmm. it's not always about jumping to the end immediately, but it's saying today for this situation, what I know of what's in front of me, these are the decisions that I need to make for myself and for my children to be safe today. And this is all, you know, when we think about breaking free, these are all aspects of consideration and all the reasons why, and there's so, so many others, why it's not so easy to just quote, break free, because there's all of these aspects. There's the heart aspect, you know, and, and, and loving that person. There are the aspects of the honeymoon and the calm and the good times. And then there's the logistical aspects of, well, what's going to happen? And how am I going to support myself and my family? And where am I going to live? And et cetera, et cetera, all of the logistical. And then there's the value-based aspect. You know, what do I believe about relationships? And what did was the plan for this relationship? And so all of these mixed together and other factors is partly why it's so complicated to quote, you know, break free from a relationship that's abusive. It's not just as easy as, oh, that's it, the one time. The question we get asked a lot, and especially when I am um, walking the journey with teenagers. Mm. So we see a lot of teenagers that care to change, and they're entering into dating relationships. And I'm really glad that we have next month a, a series on real parenting, where one of the weeks we've devoted to how to develop healthy dating habits. So make sure you're tuning in to that one. But when we have these teenagers and um, they're talking with us about um, dating and is the relationship unhealthy and is the relationship, the question that we get asked a lot is, how do you know if it's abusive? Now, Cassie, you described a lot of the ways to know. And then the question that's always, will they change? Is one time enough? So dating is so different than being in a marriage because the investment level is different, mm-hmm. right? And right. ages are, are different. Right. You know, when you're 16 dating, someone's very different than being married 20 years with three kids, right? Yes. So what would you say to the teenager who's listening and they're in this relationship and they're seeing this pattern that's been described? And we'll put in our show notes the types and we'll put in the show notes the cycle too so that you can get a visual of that as well. But what would you say to the teenager, uh, maybe Teresa, this is for you, who's asking the question, if they hit me once, mm. you know, we've kind of talked about, is it a one-time versus a reoccurring, but what would you say to the teen listening to this? Yeah, to me, the 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 dating relationship is the the point of a relationship where we are finding an attachment, I guess you would say. So, so we are um, exploring one another's personality and and who they are, and we tend to somewhat put our best foot forward. 
So if if you're in a relationship where they're hitting or I would say emotional abuse and and verbal abuse and if if you're feeling any sort of walking on eggshells or or that there's not some camaraderie that is being established, then definitely there are you know, what you're seeing are red flags mm-hmm. and that taking stock of that and and this is not something that is going to just dissipate. Right. It is something that that you're seeing, you know, the true self. Right. So see that as definitely um, something to to flee from, mm-hmm. not something to feel like maybe it was me, maybe I did something wrong, mm-hmm. or maybe this is, you know, maybe he just had a bad day. So not just casually dismissing it, mm-hmm. but really seeing that as a sign of the internal conflict that they're having and that it's not your responsibility to fix them. It's not that your responsibility to make sure they're having a good day that this is this is a red flag and that you don't have to stay there. Right. So I'm going to combine what you said with what Cassie said here. When you're in a dating relationship, typically you're putting your best foot forward. Yes. So if you're mm-hmm. seeing these behaviors like what Cassie has described and that we're talking about, this is the best foot forward. So if you're in a dating relationship, teens pay really close attention to this because this is the best. Yes. This is the best that it is. And if you feel controlled or manipulated or any of these other things, it's time to take note and to say, you know what, until that's changed over time, not just a short honeymoon, Mm -hmm. not a, not a, a time of calm until that's changed over time. You know, there are lots of people out there Mm -hmm. um, that are possibilities. Yes. The purpose of dating is to, you know, it's a training ground for marriage, right? And if, you know, and if, if in the dating time you're seeing the red flags, you know, walk into this eyes wide open to know that's the best. Yes. And let them take care of themselves Mm -hmm. and get that figured out. It's not for, for you to be the one figuring that out. Yeah, if if I could go back and tell teenager Cassie right. mm-hmm. uh, what I now know, when I was in high school, I, I that's how I considered dating. I considered mm-hmm. it to be that training ground, mm-hmm. and but to be honest, I didn't take it very seriously, and mm-hmm. I especially didn't take it very seriously when my friends were confiding in me. Mm-hmm. So whether they were just on cloud nine about something that was happening, and you know, talking about the potential right. of marrying them, in my mind, I was thinking, we are teenagers; you are not going to marry right. them, and I dismissed. It. Or if they shared something that was more serious with mm-hmm. me or concerning of something they were experiencing, I would just immediately jump to, I mean, just just break up with them. I mean, right. just right. I just was so dismissive. Mm-hmm. Oh, break up with them or just not really thinking about it being a big deal and didn't engage them in a conversation to learn more and to help them process what they were experiencing. Because with dating being the training ground, when you think about it for teens, they're setting the foundation of what they are saying that they should expect to give and to receive in relationships. And so if we don't set that healthy foundation as Mm -hmm. teenagers or, or for people that don't date maybe until later, Mm -hmm. uh, but whatever, whatever season that they're in, if we don't establish those healthy boundaries early and set those expectations of what I'm worthy of. I'm Mm -hmm. worthy of someone to love me, to care for me, to want well for me, to treat me with respect. If we, if we don't establish that early, it's so easy Mm -hmm. to, to just follow this pattern of 
of getting caught in an unhealthy cycle mm-hmm. of relationships that we might not even recognize right. or realize. And so treating teenage relationships with the maturity and right. and understanding the seriousness of it, whether or not they're really invested in that person, mm-hmm. understanding and recognizing that it is serious mm-hmm. because it's creating the foundation for what to expect as mm-hmm. they continue to get older. Such mm-hmm. a good That's point. So true. Such a good point. So hopefully for the listeners, you understand the complexity of these relationships and why it's difficult to break free. And I know that we're just sort of really touching the surface of this topic. And I want to give the listeners some resources. So if there is a teenager who's listening that's saying, oh, I do recognize this, where am I supposed to go to get more information? I need to find out about this. Or if you're, if this is an adult listening saying, yeah, I definitely see it. I don't want to admit it to myself. But yeah, I probably need to pay a little bit closer attention to see if this is a pattern, to see uh, what my involvement is and what my next step should be. Or for the listener, who knows? Yeah, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is abusive. I just don't know what to do about it. As well as the listener who says, I knew this. I wish that she or he would just fill in the blank, you know, Mm -hmm. to make some change. I would like to provide some resources for the for the listeners so that they have access. We're going to put the types of abuse and the cycle of abuse. And obviously, we'll put Sheltering Wings website on in the show notes for teenagers. Love is respect is a good Mm -hmm. website that we can include as well. It's all about teenagers and teen dating and healthy relationship for teens. So we'll put that in the show notes as well. Teresa, Cassie, what resources would you like to add to that list? I, I would add to so one of them, Sheltering Wings has established a website freedomideserve.com. And on that website, there are very practical resources. If you or someone you know is in an unhealthy or abusive relationship, uh, There's resources that talk about red flags to look for, conversation starters. Sometimes that's what's hard and awkward is just knowing how do I even approach that topic with a person that I'm concerned about, Uh, safety planning. There's also resources for churches and businesses, whether it's from a pastor perspective or a layman perspective. If you suspect that someone in your congregation is experiencing it, sometimes in the church, the conversation just looks a little bit different. And so there's resources for churches. And then the same for organizations from that HR perspective. Mm -hmm. How how does a manager have an appropriate conversation with someone that they might suspect and still be Mm -hmm. in line with HR laws and policies, that kind of thing? So freedomideserve.com is a great resource. Uh, I would also just mention Sheltering Wings has a helpline 24-7. And so whether or not a person needs safe housing, which oftentimes people think about Sheltering Wings solely as a safe housing resource, but we have other support services and we can just talk with an individual, help them assess what their situation is, and then either invite them into shelter if that's ultimately what they need or set follow-up case management sessions. We have a support group. So our helpline is available and we can put those resources online and connect it to this as well. There's a, a an amazing Christian author. Her name is Darby Strickland. Um, she has a book, uh, several several resources that she provides. Um, she's a longtime counselor of, of people who have been abused. A great book that she has out is called Is It Abuse? And I love the biblical perspective that she uses as she kind of walks a person through identifying it and helping a person who may have some spiritual abuse to walk through that and really define that. 
Well, lots of information. Teresa, Cassie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking about this conversation. That's such a difficult but widespread topic and issue facing so many people today. Again, in this Breaking Free series. Listeners, next week, we are continuing this conversation on Breaking Free. We're going to be talking about Breaking Free from the Tyranny of the Urgent. We have special guest Stephanie Boyce from the Oaks Retreat Center out in California who's going to be joining us. And so I'm really excited to release that episode for anyone who stays busy and really just wants to take a break. Um, It's a great conversation um, that we're going to be sharing with you next week. And then in August, like I said, we're starting our Real Parenting series, and we're going to be talking about school and healthy dating and bullying and impulse control and porn. So lots of really relevant topics that are real to parenting. So please join us. If you have any questions or comments or you need further help. It's really the reason why we're here. So we have the care line phone number that we'll put in the show notes. Please connect with us any way that you can or any way that you'd like to help at caretochange.org is available as well if you'd like to email us. Thank you so much for listening in and we will see you next week. <music>